Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, when we look over the course of our life and we think about how our words have hurt other people, we really are ashamed. Lord, I pray that we would have a better understanding of how to use this tongue that you've given us to bring life to others rather than to do damage to others. Lord, some of us, we came in here today and we've got relationships that are broken because of the words that we've said. And I pray, Lord, that something that was said today would spur us on to making things right with other people. And Lord, that we would be more conscious of the words that come out of our mouth as a result of our time together today than ever before. Lord, we confess to you right off the bat that we cannot do this without you. So Lord, we pray that you would show us a better way so that we leave people in better shape than the way that we found them. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm so glad that you are with us today, and I'm also thankful for those watching on the stream and on TV for all of our multi-sites. I'm also thankful for all the people in prison right now who are watching us through our prison ministry. We're glad that you are a part of our Sagebrush family. If you've been attending or watching this series on James that we've been going through, you know a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the importance of reading the Word of God. In fact, there was a book that came out years ago called Move, and in the book they were looking at what was the number one factor to spiritual growth, and what they found number one factor of spiritual growth wasn't sermons, which I was a little surprised that it wasn't my talks, and it wasn't small group time, it was just sweat equity into the Word of God. And so we encourage you to download the Sagebrush app, we encourage you to use one of the Bible reading plans that are there. Well, I'm kind of old school, going to an app every day sometimes can be annoying. And so what we did was we took the Bible reading plans and we put them on cardstock for you so they'll fit right into your Bible. So if you want to get one of these at the multi-sites, just go to the information center. If you're on the Riverside campus, then what you would do is you would go out where we're selling the Bibles in the foyer and you would pick up a Bible if you like. These are all for free, the reading plans. There's an Old Testament, New Testament reading plan if you really want to go for it. Uh, There's just a New Testament reading plan. And then the one that I'm doing right now currently is called The Story. It's the highlighted chapters of the Old Testament and the New Testament. I've been doing this for about two months. There hasn't been one bad chapter yet. Of course, there's no bad chapters in the Bible, but when you're reading about the dimensions of the tabernacle, it can be a little bit bad. I'll just tell you that right now. And so this will help you. It's chronological order. Make the Bible come alive. If you've ever wanted to really get the heart and soul of the Bible, pick up one of these cards and start to read. All right, let's get into the message today. It is one of my favorite all-time stories of all time. This young kid becomes a stock boy at this grocery store. He's only been doing it for a couple of weeks. He's over in the produce department. This little old woman comes up to him and she says, excuse me, sir, but I was just curious if I could buy a half a head of lettuce. Well, he'd only been there for two weeks. He wasn't certain if this was something that people asked about or not. But he thought it was a little bit strange that somebody would come in just wanting to buy a half a head of lettuce. She said, I don't use the whole head of lettuce. I just need a half a head of lettuce. And he said, well, I don't know. I've never heard of that before. Let me go back to my manager to ask him. And the whole time he's walking back, he's thinking to himself, this woman's crazy. No one ever buys a half a head of lettuce. Well, what he doesn't realize is that the little old lady is following from behind. So he goes through the double door and he sees this manager and he says, hey manager, uh, there's some crazy woman out there that wants to buy a half a head of lettuce. 
And then he sees in his periphery that the woman is there, and he's startled. And he says, and this beautiful young woman would like to buy the other half. It's pretty impressive right there, wouldn't you say? Well, the store manager said, well, that sounds like a plan. Go ahead and sell her a half a head of lettuce. He said, after your shift, come see me. So the young guy shows up, sees the manager, and the manager says, I was really impressed with how quick you are on your feet. Are you from around here? He said, no, I'm not from around here at all. I just moved here about a month ago. I'm from Madison, Wisconsin. The kid said, the only things in Madison, Wisconsin, we're known for our hockey teams and for having the ugliest women in the world. Manager said, well, my wife is from Madison, Wisconsin. Kid said, what team does she play for? (laughs) Friends, today we're going to talk about the power of the tongue. How many times has your tongue, your mouth, your words gotten you into all kinds of trouble? Well, I guess this was a problem for James's church, just like it's a problem for the church today. And because he mentions this again and again in the book of James, it's kind of one of those reoccurring themes that keeps raising its ugly head. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. James chapter 1, verse 19, James writes, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Then seven verses later, he writes, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Then look over here at James chapter 4, verse 11. He begs them, don't slander one another. And then he goes on to say, Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. For those of us who think that our words aren't that big of a deal, James would look you in the eye and say they are a huge deal. In fact, the writer of Proverbs put it this way. Our words have the power of life and death. Now that's true, isn't it? You've probably, through the course of your life, have experienced both, haven't you? You've had times when people have elevated you, motivated you, encouraged you, people who have brought life to you. And you've had times, I'm certain, that people have brought poison to you. They brought death to you to make you believe that you are less than. I mean, I'm hopeful that at some point in time in your lifetime, someone has come and breathed life into you, right? I mean, there's just nothing better than to have someone come up to you and say, I believe in you. Especially at that pivotal moment when you really don't believe in yourself. And you're uncertain as to your future, uncertain as to whether or not this is what God wants you to be about. This is the direction God wants you to go. And yet you have somebody in your corner that says, yes, spur yourself on. I believe you can accomplish this. I believe in you. And all of a sudden you have brand new strength like you never had before. When I I was a kid, I loved to hear my mom and dad tell me they were proud of me. That that, that phrase meant more to me than I love you because I always felt like my mom and dad kind of had to love me. You know what I'm talking about? But to say that they were proud of me, that meant that there was something that I did, something about who I was, and they looked at me with favor. They were excited about me, and it just brought life to me. Some of you have been married for a long time. Doesn't it excite you when your bride or your groom roll over and they look at you and they say, you know what, if I could do it all over again. I would marry you again. I would spend my life with you again. It's a way of affirming the relationship. It's a way of them saying, I am committed to this. And it just brings strength, doesn't it, to that married relationship. But they're also, we've all endured words of death. 
Sometimes they're sarcastic words, sometimes they're cutting words, sometimes they're words that the person didn't mean to wound us, and yet they did. And we still carry those words with us, right? Maybe you've heard the words, you know, if you, if you don't lose weight, you're never going to get married. Or how about this one? You, you, I can't believe you're my kid. You are such a disappointment. You can't seem to do anything right. What is wrong with you? Why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister? I bet you wish you were as pretty as your sister is, don't you? There was a book I was reading by Gordon McDonald. He told the story about a guy by the name of Tom. Tom was a kid. He grew up with a very dysfunctional dad who liked to put his son down. Uh, It was an abusive, verbally abusive relationship. The dad liked to put Tom into these positions that he wasn't equipped for, that he wasn't mentored in, that he wasn't trained in. He wanted his son to fail. And then every time he failed, he would say the above. He'd say, you're useless. You can't do anything right. And then he would finish it with, you're a bum. And you will always be a bum. The dad abused his kid like this day after day, week after week. What do you think Tom did when he turned 18? He got out of there as quickly as he possibly could. He went off to college, made good grades. But he lived at the idea that no matter what he did, his dad would never be proud of him. No matter what he did, his dad would always see him as a bum. Well, now he's in his 50s. His dad is gone. His dad is dead. He's married. This marriage has fallen apart. Why? He's a workaholic. He's still trying to prove to his dead dad that he's not a bum, that he's worth something. And at his job, he's really volatile. I mean, there are moments when somebody will question him or ask him about how he's doing something, and he doesn't appreciate that. He's got a short fuse. He gets angry really easily. And his kids don't understand him. They don't understand why he acts the way he does. And so they stay as far away from him as possible. He's damaged, you see. His dad damaged him decades earlier. He's still living for the approval of a dad that's dead. He's still trying to prove to himself that he isn't a bum after all. Friends, this is the power of our words. So let's look at what James has to say in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Oh, I love that verse right there, I tell you what. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone's never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships for an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Our words direct our life and the lives of others. Our words direct our life and the lives of others. And he uses the illustration of a bit in a horse's mouth. Small little piece of metal in a horse's mouth. You can guide the horse wherever you want them to go. Something so small guides this huge 1,500-pound horse. You can put a little 95-pound jockey up there because he's got that bit in his mouth. He can take that horse wherever he wants him to go. Or he says, you take this huge ship, and what is happening is there's a rudder that is bringing direction to that ship. So it is with our words. The words that you say to yourself will direct your life. And that's why we always talk about, say, positive things. 
Believe positive things. That's why I tell you all the time, memorize Scripture. Meditate on Scripture. Think on Scripture. Think about how God sees you, how God views you, how much God is for you. Think about the, the records that are playing in your mind, the things that you've recorded over time that you tell yourself when you find yourself in a difficult situation. Let me ask you something. Do the words you say to yourself elevate you or bring you down? What if you started focusing on Scripture? What if this next week you said, I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength, and you said it again and again and again and again and again, and every time you were anxious, every time you were worried, every time you felt like life was just going out of control, you said, no, 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 I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What would happen if you meditated on the truth of that verse? Wouldn't you rely upon Jesus just a little bit more? And wouldn't you realize that when you're weak, that he is strong, and you can rise up and accomplish exceedingly, abundantly more than anything you dreamed or imagined? What if instead of that record that tells you that you're less than, what if you realize you are more than a conqueror because of Christ Jesus? Wouldn't that rise you up to live a triumphant, victorious, joyful life? Because you are a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And yet that doesn't, that's not the record that's playing in our minds over and over again. That's not the recording that we have. What, what if you focused on this little verse of Scripture? You ready for it? Nothing is impossible with God. What if that was the fuel to your soul? Wouldn't that spur something within you to go after your dreams? To go after that God-given passion and vision that he's placed inside of you that has to become a reality? And even though there's obstacles before you, you say, oh, no, no, no. Nothing is impossible with God. If God is in it, he'll get me to it, right? There's nothing is impossible with him. What's playing in your mind all the time? You'll never amount to anything. You're a loser. Fear will always win the day. You'll always be a worried and anxious person. You'll never get anything right. What are you playing in your mind over and over and over again? Young ladies, what do you look at when you're in the mirror? What, do you, what plays in your mind when you look at the reflection in the mirror? Do you say, I'm a, I'm a beautiful person. I'm created in the image of God Almighty. Is that what plays in your mind? Or you start dogging yourself and saying negative things about yourself and, and treating yourself poorly. You are steering your life. And the person who has the recording going on in their mind over and over again that tells them that they're less than, they'll never amount to anything, that even God couldn't love them, they will live a miserable, miserable existence. Because they're listening to the lies and ignoring the truth of God's word. Let, let me tell you another way that we steer our lives. You ready? You can steer your life towards trouble or you can steer your life away from trouble. And it's just words that do it, isn't it? So let me talk to the young people for just a second. Let me talk to my college-age people here, my 20-somethings, maybe my early 30s. You find yourself at a party, and there's some stuff going on at that party that's not good. And you know that it's not good, and people are inviting you to engage in the stuff that's in this party. Your words can get you out of trouble, or they can lead you into trouble. So someone comes up and offers some of that stuff to you, what do you say? Well, your words can say this, no, thank you, I'm not interested. And now you've steered your life in a positive direction. But listen to me, with just one sentence, just some words, you can say, oh, thank you, I'll partake. And you will find yourself on a trajectory and down a road that you never wanted to go on. That's the power. Do you understand this? That's the power of your words. 
I, I like to help the husbands out from time to time. Every time I see a husband, I think, that guy needs help. That's what I think. So I like to help the husbands from time to time. You ever had a moment when you come home and, and your, your wife's in a bad mood? I, I know it's rare. I know it's rare. I know it's rare. She come home, she's not feeling it. You know, she's not feeling great. Do you know you have the power of words to change her whole attitude? With just three simple words, you can change the whole trajectory of how she's seeing life in that moment. And gentlemen, you know what those three words are that she longs to hear. Let's just say them together. Let's eat out. That's what she's looking for. That's what, am I right, ladies? Am I right? Every guy was like, I, 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 I. She don't want to hear I love you. She wants to hear let's eat out. <laughs> or how about this phrase, ladies? You might like this one. I am sorry. That's a, oh, I got some of you right there. Oh, yeah, I'd like to hear that once in my lifetime. I'll tell you that right now. You can change everything. That, my friend, is the power of our words. Our words also give direction, good and bad, to the people that we're around. Now, we've already seen from that abusive dad how he just completely destroyed his kid by calling him a bum over and over again. Well, what about doing something with our words that would breathe life into somebody else? I was reading this book by Mike Howerton, and he, and he shares about this girl by the name of Misty. And her parents spelled the name really weird, had a, had a weird J in it. This is how they spelled the name. And Misty was not what you would call your normal kid that would go to student ministry. Mike said, I was a student pastor. This girl was coming to our student ministry. She wasn't someone that you would think would come to student ministry. She was, had a lot of tattoos. She had some funky hair. She had piercings all over her. But this kid, there was something different about her, and she showed up every single week. I mean, she was more consistent than anybody else in his student ministry. Week after week after week, she got involved in the small group. She went on a mission trip to Mexico. I mean, she was doing great. And then one day, she just kind of fell off the map. Well, the student team tried to reach out to her. They called her. They texted her. But to no avail, they, they couldn't seem to get a hold of her. And so one day, Mike felt like, you know, maybe God wanted him to write a postcard to her. So he just sat down. took him like 20 seconds to write a postcard, put a stamp on it, threw it in the mail. Didn't think anything about it. Four years later... Mike's serving in another church down the street, doing college ministry there. They're getting ready to start their service when Misty walks in. And she has such a joy about her. Like she's finally figured things out, that she's finally at peace with God and with herself. She just lit up the room. And of course, Mike recognized her, and he was so excited to have her there. So they had the entire service, and afterwards he pulls Misty aside and he says, Misty, come over here. I want to find out what in the world happened to you. How is it that you fell off the map for the last four years? She said, well, I moved away. I went to go move in with my dad, and that turned out to be a mistake because my dad was a very abusive man. And that kind of sent me down a spiral of drugs and, and alcohol. And, and I got involved in some pretty hard stuff, some pretty heavy stuff. And then I got involved in an abusive relationship with this boyfriend, and I, I got pregnant, had an abortion. One day I, I decided that I'd, I'd go to church, and I, and I found a really good church, and I found Jesus there. And I know that he's forgiven me for all of that, and, and, and I'm a new creation, I'm a new person. 
And I just feel so happy now. I feel so much at peace that I didn't have before. And, of course, Mike was like, oh, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. And then Misty pulled out a crumpled up postcard. She said, do you remember sending this to me? He said, yeah. He said, I think I put the J in the wrong place. She said, you did. Do you remember what you wrote to me? He said, no. She handed the card over. This is what he wrote. I prayed for you today. Jesus loves you like crazy, Misty. And I think you're pretty cool, too. Hope you're well. Come back soon. Because you're missed. Mike. She said, I tacked this postcard next to my bed on the wall. And there were nights when I felt so dark and so empty. And I knew I was far from God. But I'd look at that card. And I'd tell myself, someone's praying for me. Somebody misses me. The reason I'm a follower of Jesus is because of this card. This was my lifeline. This was my belief that God and other people hadn't given up on me. Just words. Just words on a page that changed the whole trajectory of that young girl's life. Do you understand the power of your words? Let me give you another one if you're taking notes. Write this down. Our words can destroy ourselves and destroy others. James goes on. He says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. One match can burn down a house, can't it? And one unkind word after the other can destroy your marriage. How does a marriage get destroyed? It's just one unkind word after the other. How does a child's value and self-esteem get destroyed? It's just one unkind word after the other, after the other, after the other. can come from a parent, can come from friends at school, can come from social media. Just one cutting word after another can completely destroy the future of somebody else. You got friendships that are no longer happening in your life. What happened there? Was it unkind words? One unkind word, one misunderstanding, one miscommunication after another, and everything fell apart. How many times have you destroyed yourself? How many times have you destroyed somebody else because of your words? You lied. Now nobody trusts you. You gossiped. And you threw somebody else under the bus and you shared that which you never should have shared because it wasn't even true in the first place. Mildred was the church gossip. In the small little church that she went to, that's all she did was she gossiped about the people and everybody feared her. They wouldn't confront her. They wouldn't deal with her because they were afraid that Mildred would turn her wrath upon them and start some kind of gossip about them as well. So they let her get away with it. Well, a new guy started coming to church. His name was Elmer. Elmer was just a quiet man. 
He'd sit there. He'd listen to what the preacher had to say. He'd sing the worship songs. He'd leave. Everything was fine in Elmer's little world till Mildred got into it. Turns out that Mildred one day was driving down the street, and she went by the local bar as she was driving by, and she saw Elmer's truck parked there in the afternoon. Well, she wanted to make certain that everybody knew that Elmer's truck was parked in front of the bar. And she said, well, Elmer must be an alcoholic because that's the only kind of people that park their vehicles in front of the bar, if you know what I mean. Well, Elmer heard the gossip. He heard the rumors about him. But he didn't deny it, and he didn't try to defend himself. He did something different. Like I said, Elmer was a quiet man. So one night about, I don't know, 1030 at night, he went down Mildred Street and parked his truck in front of Mildred's house. (laughs) Then he walked home, (laughs) left his truck all night. You got to love Elmer, don't (laughs) you? Look at what the Bible says. Verse 6, it corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Our words set off a chain reaction. And it just does damage, doesn't it? Then it talks about the tongue being a deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. We come to church and we sing our love songs to the Lord. And then we gossip about someone on the door. We come to church and we shake our heads and we agree with what the Word of God has to say. And then we go and lie. We curse. We use profanity to make a point. We even use God's name in vain. And do you know what all that does? Well, when people find out that you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you talk that way, you've just effectively repelled them away from Jesus. This lost and dying world's trying to see a little bit of a difference in our life compared to somebody else. And a couple of weeks ago, we already found out that that's not happening. So they kind of watch us. They watch our jokes. They watch our sarcasm. They watch the words that come out of our mouth. And when they don't see any real difference between how we talk about people compared to someone who doesn't follow Christ, well, guess what? They then think that Jesus is a joke. That's why it's a deadly poison. It poisons people's souls. It literally can repel people away from the good news of Jesus Christ. So do you understand how important this is that we get this right? That we surrender this area of our life over to the Lord. So you say, okay, Todd, I've got this issue. Because every one of us does, including me. So what should we do in the midst of all of this? Well, the first thing is this. You've got to admit that it's a problem you got to quit acting like it's not that big of a deal. It's just words that come out, and you know you can't help what comes out of your mouth, right? No, God takes your words very, very seriously. Look at this uh, verse in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. There says this, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. All right, Six things the Lord hates, seven of them that are detestable. Count up how many have to do with the tongue. Here's what he says, Haughty eyes... A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Three out of the seven things that the Bible says God hates or God detests have to do with the tongue. My goodness, think about this. The Ten Commandments. Are you familiar? Two of the Ten Commandments talk about the tongue. 
Thou shalt not lie and do not use the Lord's name in vain. Friends, we have to admit that this is a problem. We have to take the problem seriously. Do you know why you have to take the problem seriously? Because the problem isn't with your tongue. It's much deeper than that. Do you know where the root is from? All this stuff that comes out of us, it means that we have a dirty heart. It means that we have a heart that's far from God. You say, Todd, how in the world can you say that? Well, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus said, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of you is what's in you. So if you're full of bitterness inside, guess what? You're going to say bitter words. If you've got sin and rebellion inside of you, guess what? It's going to come out of your mouth. That's why the psalmist writes in Psalm 141, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. So we say, oh, i got a problem here. I'm not exemplifying Christ. I'm not bringing life in this situation. I'm bringing death. So we have to admit that it's a problem, but it's not enough just to admit it. Second thing is this. we got to ask God for help. When I, when I first became a Christian at the age of 15, I, I had a filthy mouth. I mean, I'd given my life to Jesus, but I hadn't given my mouth to Jesus just yet. You understand what I'm talking about? I mean, I cussed all the time. Hear a word, dare a word, every word, hear a dare, dare. Okay, that's enough. Now, for those of you who are Christian, you're going to understand what I'm talking about. There are moments in your life when the Holy Spirit of God begins to convict you about something that's really out of whack, right? So here I'm a Christian, and I'm using God's name in vain. I'm dropping F-bombs. I, I could put words together, it, and people are like, wow, I've never heard a sentence like that before in my entire life. I mean, I could rip you to shreds. And I knew that wasn't the way Jesus wanted me to speak. But I also knew it had become quite a habit for me. And so I tried to stop. You would think that wouldn't be difficult. But I couldn't do it. Why couldn't I do it? Because I don't have the power to do it. Some of us are dealing with all kinds of stuff. Stuff that you wish would change in your life and you just keep returning to it again and again and again. Why is that happening? It's because you haven't surrendered it over to the Lord. What did Jesus say? He said, you want to be my disciple, you take up your cross, you deny yourself, and you follow me. What does that have to do? It has to do with surrender. You lay everything down before him. So I'm 15 years old, i got a filthy mouth, and the Holy Spirit is convicting me of this. I need to do something about it. Now that's the thing. You can sweep it under a rug and act like it's not that big of a deal, or you can do business with God. I chose to do business with God. And so I admitted to him, I said, I cannot do this. I cannot pull this off on my own strength, my own power. I need help. So here's what I did. I, every, every night I got on my knees by my bed and I counted up the number of times I lied or the number of times I gossiped or the number of times I had that profanity come out of my mouth. And this was my prayer. God, help me to do one less tomorrow. That was my hope. As over time, I could kind of get this thing down to a place where maybe we could get some control over it. Now, I'd like to be able to tell you it happened in a few days. That would be a lie. I did this for nine months. 
Nine months of getting on my knees. Nine months of telling him every dirty thing I said. And I begged him to give me the strength to help me to say one less the next day. I took this so very seriously. And so today, profanity isn't an issue in my life. I mean, once a year, I have a Todd Cuss day. You know, I do that. No, I'm just kidding. I don't have a Todd Cuss day. So like, you do? No, I don't have that. You see, the Christian life is, is surrender. And that's what most people don't get. And it's a daily surrender. Less of me, more of you. Oh, God. May the words in my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh, my Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Oh, God, may the words in my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh, my Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I wanted it so bad, but I couldn't do it on my own. But I found a power that is greater than anything through Jesus Christ. And he helped me overcome it. But it was a struggle and it was a battle. But it was worth fighting. Third thing is this. After you ask God for help again and again and again, you use your tongue to benefit others. You just say to yourself that something's going to come out of my mouth that's going to be encouraging. If I'm going to say something, it's going to lift somebody else up. No more sarcasm. No more belittling. No more profanity. No more leaving someone in worse shape than the way that I found them. I'm going to lift them up. I'm going to help them capture the dreams that God's placed inside of them. I'm going to bring words of life. Now, I want you to stop and pause for a second and think about your words this past week. Did you do that? Did you lift them up? Did you build them up? Or did you tear them down? Because I have a feeling that some of us need to go and apologize. And so here's been my prayer all week, is that we would get to the end of this talk and you'd do two things. One, you'd surrender your mouth over to the Lord, and this would be the beginning of you doing it again and again and again and again and again. And the second is this, anyone you've wounded, anyone that you've damaged with your words, I want you to go and apologize to them. And I want you to say, I shouldn't have said that. I blew that. I wounded you, and that's not why God gave me a mouth. Will you forgive me? Say that. Will you forgive me? And then say this. Is there anything I can do to make this right between the two of us? Because some of you need to go to your spouse and apologize. And some of you need to go to your kids. And you need to admit that what you said and what you did was wrong. And I'm telling you, the value of you as a mom or a dad is going to skyrocket in their eyes because you do that. Some of you, it's a friend, it's a relationship, and it hasn't been what it's supposed to be because words were spoken in anger. Someone has to take the first step. I'm asking you to take it. Friends, what's it going to take for us to finally control our tongues? I found this on an epitaph of a tombstone. It said this, Here lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May finally began to hold her tongue. I hope you don't have to wait that long. Let's pray. Lord, I so much want to be an encourager. I want to be someone who brings life to people. But Lord, I know that there have been many times in my life that I haven't done that. And I'm embarrassed. And I'm ashamed. 
Lord, for those of us who find ourselves in broken relationships because of terrible words that were said, I pray you give us the courage to go to the person and apologize, to ask for their forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that you would go before us and that you would prepare their hearts for that and that they would accept our offer of forgiveness so that we might restore the relationship. Set a guard over our mouth, Lord. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh, my Lord, my rock, my redeemer. May we surrender this to you every single day so that our mouths that we use to praise you wouldn't also be used to curse someone else. May we bring blessing everywhere we go. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.